and welcome to Your Property Podcast. Today is the 21st of January 2021. Uh, my name is Michelle Kearns, your podcast host for today. And with us, we've got Cormac Henderson. Hi, Cormac. Hey, Michelle. How are you doing? Good. Good to have you on today. So a bit of background about Cormac. He is a visionary founder entrepreneur who recently won the award for Property Trader of the Year. And he, in this deal, he traded north of 40 million in property, raised sufficient capital for 300 million annual buying capability, rebranded the business and expanded the team. So uh, you, let's start off with, uh, you left the corporate world in 2007. And following on that, you went to a year working in Melbourne. So you've worked abroad and then you've ended up back in the UK. Um, tell us about your, you know, your journey so far into into property. How did you start out? Sure. Uh, thanks, Michelle. Um, and yeah, look, great to be here. Thanks for the opportunity to, to have a chat. Um, so how did I start out? Well, um, the UK is, is, is abroad for me, actually. Uh, so, so, yeah, I left Dublin um, as a 22 year old after uni and came over to London for a graduate position um, with a global FMCG uh, company. And um, after about a couple of years, decided that property was something that I wanted to pursue. And um, with a couple of uh, Aussie guys who I met in a flat share, we decided to buy um, an apartment, £58,000 um, terrace property in Birkenhead. Don't know how we ended up there, um, Michelle. <laughs> I understand you're not too far away from that from that spot yourself, but... Um, yeah, I have fond memories of our trips up there and um, an Irish guy and two Aussies trying to figure out how to manage the, uh, the Liverpool rental market was uh, something I, I remember fondly. But that was how it started for me in property. Um, I did about five years with Danone in London and um, Melbourne. I traveled, traveled the world a couple of times uh, with, with, with uh, those, guys, those friends, partners um, and other friends. And sort of I, I was given an opportunity. We, we continued then to buy some... Um, uh, just residential buy to let investments back in those days you could leverage yourself pretty pretty uh highly uh you could buy and refinance pretty quickly um so yeah we were going great guns uh riding the wave uh, of the property boom up until 2007 um and then in 2007 i left um Danone, the company i was offered a position in sydney and i decided to come back to london and set up National property trade in, in a, uh, a flat share in Fulham on Fulham Palace Road um, instead of working uh, at the beach uh, in Sydney. So uh, I was looking out onto uh, buses and, and cars going past my front window, wondering sort of why I'd made that decision. Um, and yeah, not long after that, um, the global global financial crash happened about six months later. And then I asked myself again why I made the decision um, to leave the corporate world behind. And um, but by that stage, we had actually amassed. Um, quite a reasonably significant portfolio you know you could you could acquire pretty quickly back in those days um, and you could amass um, pretty uh, you know properties and, and uh, grow your portfolio quite quickly so we had already um, um, bought a number of different types of properties so we focused on um, the HMO market in London um, uh, essentially room shares which is where we met each other and, and how I how I experienced uh, London as a, um, as, as a as a graduate and um, um, uh, so we focused on HMOs. Then we did some student rentals uh, up in Leeds. Um, we had uh, we started trading and developing. Um, so we had HMOs around London. We had we went all over the place. We went to Manchester, Cardiff, Leeds, um, Sheffield, numerous other places. Um, and then yeah, started sort of training and, and trade. Decided I wanted to learn how to develop. Um, so we just we did some of that as well. Um, 
And then the final thing was, well, I need to now try and figure out how to trade properly rather than just buy to hold. How, how do I trade it at the door? So that was sort of how I ended up getting involved in you know, with, with national property trade uh, initially. And how did you find the difference between trading and holding? It was, um, I still love holding property. I think it's a, it's a great way to, uh, to, to, to accumulate wealth and it's a great way to accumulate long-term long-term wealth and asset growth is something, you know, in whatever economy in, in, in the long run, eight, nine, 10 years, uh, you always, uh, nine times out of 10, you will, you will do very well. It's just really important that you buy, you, you look at the property in the right way at, at the outset, ideally, you know, pick markets that are going to be moving, pick markets that are going to see growth, um, that are going to see either gentrification or right now, for example, suburban markets are growing, are, are going to be the growth area for the next five years because of the, uh, the the great migration that we're seeing from the urban centers. So I would be snapping up investment properties in those areas and holding them, for example. Um, whereas trading was a lot tougher, a lot tougher. And, and why a lot of people don't do it is and, and, and because it's difficult to make it work. Um, it's difficult to get funding. Buy to let is an off the shelf product available to, to, to most investors that we, we, you know, everybody knows about that now. Um, thanks to Margaret Thatcher, who created the, the, the AST, the uh, short hold tendency, which brought on the advent of short of lenders feeling comfortable lending money and so they uh, whereby they could get the property back and the landlord had more control over the property and that, that was what opened up that market really and, and you know so that is really an off-the-shelf market now as we know um i think it's as high as 10 percent of the property market between five and ten percent of the property market whereas you know trading you don't it, it's essentially a professional almost a professional only um um uh, skill set and and activity and, um, you know, you start off with bridge lending. Bridge lending is high risk, um, scary place to be uh, when you buy a property and you have a, only a few months to sell it. And um, then it's, you know, so therefore most of the money goes, goes to, to, the, uh, to, to the lender. Um, you know, you're looking at, you know, 10, 12% interest rates back in those days. So it's, uh, the key was really to refurb it. Um, and actually we, in the early days, we, uh, we innovated. I was one of the first, I think, if not the first to set up, um, the assisted sale product, whereby we would take on the seller's, um, loan, uh, with, with the lender, with, with the, with the lender, but not, um, and it put a power of attorney in place and essentially pay them a cash amount between the, uh, the purchase price and what the mortgage was and that would enable us to avoid bridging and it would enable us to minimize our capital outlay um, and ideally focus on properties that needed work um, and the combination of reducing uh, the cost of, of funding and um, investing in and finding properties that needed work meant that um, you know we were able to make it work so um, but it wasn't about one trade for me ever. It was always, the vision was always about creating a bigger business that could um, deliver a service to the customer. Um, so, so by focusing on the customer uh, and putting the customer at the center of the business, um, I believe that that would, uh, you know, that, that would, success would follow. So if, if we could deliver the best possible product to, to, to the customer, um, uh, success would follow. And I think, um, you know how to unlock that business is all about funding and that took took me 10 years to figure out but um yeah the the um back in those days let's say 2007 2008 there was um the market was completely dysfunctional um you were looking at you know uh, obviously the global credit crunch there's prop the markets that still have not yet recovered i've bought property that has not yet exceeded the, the, the purchase price i mean i bought it back then so you know that the whole market was in a state of flux and 
the issue that customers were facing is um, buyers were really not able to deliver a fast sale. A house buying service, did, as, as I've built this business, did not exist back then. And it, um, well, what it meant was customers were effectively finding themselves in a forced selling position because of the economic climate. And they were walking into um, a sector that was not, um, that could not, that was not, not, not set up to facilitate the service they needed. So I, I sort of identified that uh, and realized that, that, that that's where the gap in the market was. And it also became very clear to me that um, in terms of in terms of property generally, um, the open market doesn't serve everybody. It's in a, it's, it's not efficient for everybody. Um, and it's not just uh, for sellers in a financial sense. You have um, people who are in you know life situations like probate. Uh, they might want to relocate for work. Uh, they might want to downsize. They might want to retire. They might want to buy a new home. All of these reasons are, are you know, can create a very, very stressful property sale experience. So, you know, from my point of view, um, the, the selling your home is so stressful um, and trying to, you know, you, you don't actually, you don't actually sell your home. Um, you know, you swap your home, right? So everybody goes out and, and you all line up. It's, it's, it's like a barter economy from 3000 years ago where, 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 uh, where money doesn't exist. Um, and it's the only industry where you have that experience as a customer. So, so I, I believed it was, you know, being a naive entrepreneur, I had a healthy, healthy dose of naivety at that time. I was about, you know, 25, 26 and believed we could we could solve that problem. And of course, it took me a long time to realize that actually the reason why it was difficult was was, was funding. So that, that was the big conundrum um, that I probably underestimated at the time. But you've obviously made it work for you. So, um, you know, what like give us three top things that you've learned and how you've managed to make uh, make that process work for you what, what's what stands out in your journey um it's a big question <laughs> <laughs> i think i think different things at different times you know right now we're building a corporate a corporate business that we want you know we have a target of 300 million annual turnover um and that requires about 100 million of funding to deliver that 300 million turnover so um the approach now is is um, more about focusing on regulation, about focusing on um, customer customer transparency, trust, um, building a brand and a business that can stand up to scrutiny, uh, professional scrutiny, whether it be you know ultimately through the FCA or um, you know other industry bodies. And actually, in order to do that, being a thought leader in the industry and creating a communication strategy that that puts the sector in a different in a different light. So so. You know that that is very different to the entrepreneur when you when you're one man band and you set up and, and you start out. And I think, I think, um, you know, I would say if you're going to do it, take those risks. Do it in your twenties. Um, ideally, when you don't have kids, because as I recently learned, that's 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 stressful enough on its own, or that's challenging enough on its own. And you know, you don't want to mix those two things together. I don't think. Um, so yeah, I would say um, you need to be adaptable. I think that's the message. You you, have, you know you. you you have to be willing to change. You have to be. You have to be willing to evolve. You need to be open about what it is, you, where your skill set, what skill sets you don't have, and, and and build a team of people and build a team that can contribute to the overall vision that you're that you're looking to achieve. Um, you know your network and your ability to identify the right people will uh, will ultimately be the most important thing. Um, I had some difficult difficult relationships with with business partners all of whom are still friends and we still have great respect for each other, but it's, it's, it's a difficult journey if perhaps 
you, you think the skill set is there and it's not, or maybe you don't complement each other in the right way. Moving on from those relationships can be can be a real personal, um, a real personal challenge actually. So yeah, I think I think that that's really important. Um, I would also say, uh, you know, purely in terms of property, if you can get the funding right, then um, then you you can really make a difference. You, you can really uh, establish yourself as a standout business. You know, even though uh, if the average property you're buying is say is say is say two hundred and fifty thousand uh, pounds. Um, and if you're buying 100 of them, that's 25 million pound business. So it's um, whereas if you're an estate agent selling 100 properties, you know you don't need you, know, you certainly don't need a, um, 100 million pounds annual turnover to, to deliver that outcome. So you know funding is is um, is a is a significantly important part of 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 delivering a successful property business, and that that is a whole new world. Um, you know when you talk about funding, it's 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 uh, it's investors. It's is it you know uh, how are you going to fund your business? Is it through a real estate fund? Is it through debt? Is it is it through um, um, you know private private investors? Are you going to look at um, high street lending? How's that going to work? Um, it's it's an expertise all on its own, clearly. Um, so I think anybody who is you know, I was very grateful and, and, and fortunate to have a good school friend who was an investment banker, um, Shane Miller, and he's he's co-founder of Spring, who's um, which is the is the current business that we rebranded from National Property Trade uh, to establish Spring, and and you know Shane really led the way for us in uh, on the funding side, um, and um, yeah, I think you know again that was about choosing the right partner, and I think that that's that's really crucial to to the overall success of for, uh, for any entrepreneur. Right. Okay. Well, um, obviously you've got a, a very clear uh, strength in the trading of property and uh, your recent award, which was uh, for the property trader of the year. Talk to us about, you know, the application for that award and uh, the it's property investors award. Uh, it's an annual award and um, we've got different categories. So uh, what did you put forward for that? And why do you think your, your, you know you stood out in that field um so i think it's our third time winning um and it's our third time going for it so we're very grateful to be recognized by uh the property investor awards and i i think the way those awards have um evolved is also noteworthy and, and, and helpful for the industry we went for that sector i mean we are um a cross between an investor and and essentially a corporate a corporate business right so uh, I, gr- I, gr- I grew up in terms of my property story as a property investor, um, with with the goal to accumulate property investments, but by focusing on the customer, ultimately um, find uh, create a business that that could serve a gap in the market, um, and in doing so, that business then would itself become valuable. And and um, that was sort of the first pers- that was the commercial. They were the commercial goals at the time. So um, so now I think um, typically the trader of the year award is probably asking you to look at one one property. Um, you know, we, we've traded uh, in excess of, uh, I think, circa 200 properties in that year and um, in excess of 40 million pounds um, was uh, our turnover that year. So I think, um, I, I guess we were looked at as an individual uh, to assess just one individual deal probably didn't, didn't, wasn't the only reason perhaps that we were chosen. I do think it's, it's, it's also about um, the vision that we have to try and to try and actually change the sector from what is essentially um Almost an amateur sector without really a, uh, a fully professional uh, set of, um, you know, uh, corporate governance and so forth. Without without the proper 
how would you put it? I think it was about it's about evolving from that one man band in, into that business, right? Um, and in doing so, you're you're providing a service that the customer needs, and um, uh, I, I guess that's good for the industry because you know the industry at times uh, isn't isn't given its its uh, fair dues uh, by the by, 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 by you know by media in general. I think um, you know we, we want to help push the band. We, we want to help as a thought leader bring it into uh, a new light, um, and that's really what this rebrand was about as well. So 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 I guess it was a combination of the commercial outcomes, but also the the overall uh, evolution of the business during that year. So the deal that you put forward for this, do you want to talk to us about that one as, as an example? I'm sure you've got. Um, <laughs> can well, I can't. I can't. I, I can't recall the individual deal. Um, if I'm honest with you, uh, we um, we do. Sorry, we look at so many deals uh, every day, um, and we have a team of guys. So you know, I think we're we have about thirty people now working um, for the business, and we have a, an underwriting team uh, that focuses on um, what we call uh, the B to C channel and the B to B channel. Yeah. Um, so B to C is essentially our web inquiries. Um, so we're the number one online residential house buyer um, um, in, uh, right now in the UK. And, and then we're also um, a growth player uh, in the, the B2B space. And uh, I would say position close to, I, I would say positioning ourselves as number one in the retirement sector and, and the, um, the, the house buying service or the home buying service of choice for many uh, leading uh, retirement developers. Um, and it's a sector that I, that I feature feature in frequently in, in speaking events and um, uh, conferences and so on. Um, and yeah, so so we we are um, more than just the deal, if you see what I mean. You know, and I think it's in many ways, it's less about the deal and it's more about the overall business, um, you know, but at the heart of our business, it's it's property, it's property trading and property investing. Um, but I would, I would say that actually um, raising the funds um, was a ten-year project, and we 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 succeeded in in in, in this uh, year uh, in doing that. In between, uh, in between um, Brexit, uh, the elections, um, and 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 the, and coronavirus, somehow managed to get this deal done. Um, and yeah, we went out to market in January 2019 um, with our private equity advisors, and they we went through a process of. Uh, meeting prospective investors and we came down to the final stages uh, after about 40 or 50 meetings and we had um, we had two buyers who essentially were looking to fund the business and we, we, we chose we chose the buyers uh, that we felt would, would uh, enable us to scale the business and grow the business uh, and deliver that overall vision um, and I, th I guess that was uh, in many ways the greatest achievement that we had that year um, and we're now in a position whereby we can we can build uh, the company out even further um, and I think it's important that we as traders you know it's not so much about the profit that one deal generates actually you know that's the old way uh, that, I, that, that perhaps I would have looked at it now it's about um, it's about a fair uh, well, you know spring as a brand is, is in terms of putting, putting the customer first is about presenting a fair price it's about transparency so we've actually changed how we present our pricing to customers now so we no longer focus on um being a below value buyer we actually buy at market value but we charge a a transparent fee um and that fee is explained in terms of the reasons why uh we have to charge a fee and we have what's called a risk premium and a base fee so our base fee is about is, is around nine percent and then the risk premium goes up to six percent on top and um that six percent is determined by things like location 
local market activity, property type, tenure, and condition. So we will we will uh, apply a percentage uh, depending on whether it's uh, uh, on the, the 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 sort of the, the high or the low side of of, uh, of each of those categories. Um, so so really that, so that I, I guess that was our achievement, Michelle, for that year. Um, and um, it's it's um, a lot of key operational changes, investing in the operation, investing in the business to allow us to. Um, we don't want to see ourselves, ironically, as a trader. Although we are, we are a property trader. But for the customer, we want to be a home. We want to be a home buying service, um, and we want we want them to be able to engage our services uh, with a fully transparent um, price pricing model. And that, that's that's essentially what we've been developing this year. Sounds like you've got a lot of moving parts. <laughs> yes, maybe they need a new category, Michelle. I don't know. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Pocket systems expertise of the year or something <laughs> so obviously <That's> me. <laughs> you've, got, you've got a lot of the systems there that need to be put in place uh, and you talked a lot about investors as well working with investors working with homeowners you've got a lot of um personal relationships there and you know uh, conversations to be had and relationships to build up over time how do they fit in with having the systems and the cogs turn in and everything automated how yeah. do you, how do you, uh, yeah, so one of the first things I did in 2007 was, was look at building a, a tech led platform to enable us to process through leads. Um, and, you know, these days everyone's got a CRM uh, back then, I guess it was, it was perhaps, um, you know, we were more the slightly techie generation compared to what had gone before. So remember Google maps had just come on stream around the time that we were setting up the business and the idea that you could sit in your office and walk walk up and down the street and value your property without having to visit it. Even back, you know, back then was quite was quite revolutionary. Um, so I think the CRM on the front end certainly enabled us to take the inquiry, process the inquiry, um, you know, arrange arrange the underwrite and present that present that to the customer. Um, and then obviously it enables you to to manage the team internally and to uh, to, to create task lists, um, ensure that we can. And commit to that underwrite and essentially that that indicative offer within 24 hours of every inquiry coming in so that that was you know something that from day one i was very focused on and that's really important then because that then feeds into your reporting and that's how you um that, that's where your management information comes from that's that's how you can then understand you know what's happening at the front end in terms of your your analysis of your of leads and the conversion of leads what's happening from a a trading point of view in terms of um, what's likely to come in this month and what's likely to go out that um, go out that month and then also what's the customer journey what's the customer experience and when are they dropping off and why are they dropping off and are they happy and and, and, and if they're unhappy why are they unhappy um, and, and analyzing that journey as well is, is also very important so yeah the CRM allows us to do all those things um, and of course we've, we've built it and evolved it and improved even right now part of this investment that we've that we've um, brought on stream we are um and um, the next thing after the rebrand is the tech uh, revamp and, um, you know, ensuring that we are the, the, uh, the best tech, the best tech led property business uh, in, in, in the residential market in the UK. Um, and that's that's a key focus for us as well. In terms of the investor side and how we manage that, well, in the early days, it was about um, the early prior to actually raising all this, the, the funding, we actually did work with individual private investors. And that was you know almost 15 years ago, I think now. And that was one of the reasons when I, that's, that's what was one of the reasons I actually um, wanted to move away from that approach and, and, and essentially become the 
the, the, the principal or, 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 or the, an in-house buyer because it, trying to um, uh, place every individual transaction with an investor was not focusing on the customer because I didn't, you know, we didn't have control over the investor's funding. Uh, generally, they might have been using a lender and quite often those, the lender would, would pull out or cause, cause an issue. So um, we reviewed it again with the customer in, in, in mind and, real, and I realized that the customer is only ever really going to get what they want from this transaction if we can, if we can raise funding. So, so, so in, in, in doing that, we have replaced um, individual investors or even private investors with, with, a, with a board effectively. So we now report to that board um, on a monthly basis, uh, which is pretty standard for any business with this level of funding. Um, and um, yeah, as the chief exec, uh, one of the executive directors of the board, and we report to, um, um, and the board then takes decisions that are in the interest of um, of the owners and and, and in, in line with their F, 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 FCA obligations. So, it's very much um, the CRM allows us to uh, create those reporting tools and documents that we need uh, to create the board pack. So again, it's about automating it, that side of it as much as possible. So everything we do, we 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 uh, we look to focus on automation where possible. Um, and not just to make it more efficient internally, but also to improve the ease at which customers can, can experience um, Springs Home Bank service. Okay. And for people who aren't sure about the, what the board means, uh, can you just go into that a little bit more? Sure. Um, yeah. So um, it's my first time sitting on a board, actually, as part of this venture. So I had to learn pretty quick <laughs> as the chief executive. So um, a board yeah, essentially comprises uh, the executive uh, directors uh, or uh, what they call the C-suite. So you have the, the chief exec, the, ch uh, the chief investment officer and the chief operating officer. Um, you know, the chief exec is kind of overall strategy and vision and the, um, uh, the, C the chief investment officer focuses uh, traditionally on, on, on money and reporting the finance side of things um, and the chief operating officer uh, focuses on the running of the operation. Um, in, in our in our in our case, actually, we split it slightly differently, and we're we're you know uh, we're quite a, we're, we're we're more of a team than that. You know, we all support each other in the different areas, but that's that's that is how we uh, how we are. That that's the sort of um, uh, the official um, breakdown of our of our obligations. And then you also have the non-executives. So non-executives on the board are not involved in the day-to-day -day running of the business. Um, but they will be generally put there uh, by the funders of, the, of, of, of any given business. So um, they will be um, key strategic people, generally at a very high level, who will have experience um, in um, either you know running, sitting on boards of businesses, or they'll understand the fiduciary obligations uh, in relation to a business when it comes to report, um, reporting the financial ongoings of the business. Or, for example, um, the, the, there's numerous uh, regulatory obligations that that any business must adhere to, and quite often they will bring that expertise to ensure that we are uh, adhering to all of the uh, regulations that, that 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 you know we need to we need to adhere to. So, in our in our in our case, the um, uh, the chairwoman is um, is uh, um, a non-exec, but also is essentially um, a partner in the the funder of our business as well. So uh, the difference between the private investors as individuals and the board raising finance. Where does the where does the funding come when there's a board instead of the private investors? So, um, so if it's a pro okay, so it depends where your money's coming from, I suppose. Uh, so if buying the properties. So if the money is coming from, so in our case, the money is coming from a regulated pension fund. 
uh, and therefore um, with that brings regulatory obligations that the board must adhere to. Okay. If um, as a private individual, if I decide to speak to uh, my friend who's running a company and I offer him a million pounds to run his business, he can do, you know, ultimately he's, he, you know, he, the, the only regulatory requirement, he would have minimal regulatory requirements because I'm a private individual, I'm a sophisticated inv investor technically, and I would, um, I might say, uh, you know, we might agree between us how we want to run the meeting, what the reporting requirements are, um, what the terms are for that investment, and, and beyond that, um, there are uh, there are limited regu regulatory obligations. If I was to, if we were to go and list the company um, on the stock exchange, then that, that would be what's called a publicly limited company, uh, or PLC for short. And again, you have even greater greater obligations because um, mom and pop can go and invest in that company, and if their money is at risk, then um, you know the financial markets and, and the regulatory bodies want to ensure that money is is safe and and therefore that they're, they're following the strictest regulatory obligations. So you kind of I said the money world was was it was a was it the world was it was a stratosphere of of. Um, uh, of information uh, in and of itself but essentially that's kind of how it cascades down so if you want to start raising money you kind of that's the world you need to uh learn learn about um and um yeah so the plc i guess is the, at the top you know then you might have a um uh it's privately owned but but the, the funding to, to, to private to, to, to own that business comes from public sources um and, and 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 you know then obviously you've got the sort of the 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 100% privately owned business at the bottom, uh, which has few regulatory obligations. But I think I think you know a board meeting is uh, is helpful and important for any business, and you know uh, it's all about reporting on key metrics, reporting on key financials, how is the company performing versus target. You know all of those um, all of those reporting obligations are 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 something. Are, are, you know if I was to go and set up. Uh, a business in the future that wasn't uh, under the same regulations, I would still adapt these these these, these this approach because um, actually it's a very uh, helpful and important. It's a very it's it's a it's a useful way to run the business to sit back and pause as a team once a month and, and have that discussion in 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 that in that format. So the uh, you've got the board with the pension budget, if you like. So you, you've got an amount there that can be invested. You've got your the incoming deals coming in, the incoming properties. So, how do you decide which properties that you will invest the money in? And so, the properties are bought with the pension money. With, with the so, the pension fund owns the properties. Is that right? So, well, the, the business is actually currently owned by. So, we, uh, as the unit, original founder of the business, I sold along with the other shareholders. We sold the business to the to the the current owners, um, and we stayed on as shareholders, as minority shareholders, um, and executive board members. So, we are effectively running the company uh, on behalf of the new owners, and they are. Um, um, and and, and um, as, as part of the fundraise process that you go through, so I mentioned the private equity um, process that we went through earlier in, in 2019, um, you present a business plan, you present what's called an investor memorandum, and then you present a business plan. Uh, we presented a five-year business plan in terms of how we, uh, we wanted to scale the business um, over that time. Um, within that business plan, you have 
operational costs and expenses in order to expand the business, employ people uh, and so forth, um, you know, beef up HR, beef up um, all the regulatory stuff I talked about, um, rebrand, tech investment, that's that's obviously a direct into the company investment, that's not a property acquisition, but it still requires funding. And then on the other side, you have the asset, uh, the property side of it, so it's, it's, it's a what the how it's, how it's described is a an operating company and a property company, or in, in industry speak, it's opco and propco. So you require an opco investment and a propco investment um, in order to build this business. It's a highly capital intensive business because we're buying properties, so you need a mega pool of funding to to fund the property acquisitions. Um, and then the, essentially, the board has an approved mandate uh, that the executive that that, that the business uh, led by the executive team can um, can and must adhere to. And that mandate dictates which properties we can buy and what what, what money we can spend in, in in the different areas in the business. If we um, you know a, any investment that we're looking to make would be referred back to the business plan. Any change in the business plan would would then need to be approved by the board. Right. So it's uh, like you said, it's another level, isn't it? <laughs> it's yes, it's uh, it is it's it is it's it's how do I put it? I think any every entrepreneur, you know, if it, being a property investor is obviously more about the property, um, you get to a point where um, every business that gets to a certain scale has to learn new approaches and different approaches. And like I go back to my very uh, point at the very beginning. You know, you can't do everything um, as a, a as a, a an entrepreneur. You you know, there will be areas that you need to bring in um, uh, experts who will who will. And I, you know, I, my naive. I, I said I was naive, right? Well, this is what I've learned. Uh, I'm less naive now, of course, but um, it's a, it was. A, I think every entrepreneur needs a healthy dose of of na- naivety. Um, but uh, but yeah, I think uh, as as the business evolves and as the business grows. Um, you also have to grow and learn with it, um, but also uh, know when it's important to bring in, in bring in experts. And that can be difficult because it's your business, it's your baby. You know, you founded it, and all of a sudden you're losing kind of control, or you're you're losing parts of yourself. As uh, as it's a deeply philosophical question, Michelle. But uh, uh, I don't think we have uh, enough time for that one. But um, but yeah, I think it's um, that is it's that's the personal side of the journey. I think, and you know, it depends how far you want to you want to take it um you, you could just buy five or ten properties and that, that 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 could be sufficient and actually if you buy five or ten quality properties hold them run them well buy them in good areas and they they accumulate wealth in 10 or 20 years you know it, it, that that'll be plenty plenty of return for for, for any individual um yeah i guess when I was in university, I studied business and economics in Trinity College in Dublin, and I used to read the Financial Times because my lecturer said I had to. And I, I would see these, you know, announcements about mergers and acquisitions and IPOs and people setting companies, and I always thought that'd be a cool thing to do. So I guess that was one of the one of the reasons why I ended up here. And obviously, you know, going back, I won't ask you what you would do differently because it was a different world back then than it is today. Mm. So for people listening who are thinking, do you know what? Um, the five properties isn't enough. I, I've actually got this burning desire. I want to to get to this point where you are at now, um, but they're early on in their journey. Mm. What would you say? What, any advice for them? To yeah, get them up to to succeed quickly or quicker. Yeah, or? yeah. It's um. I wouldn't necessarily change a huge amount about my journey in terms of what I did historically to, to get me to here today. But if I was to set up a new business tomorrow, I, I would do that differently. Um, I think, you know, 
in order to get to where we are today, I had to, I had, I had to buy and I had to accumulate and I had to take risk and I had to leverage and I had to do all those things that now that I'm sort of on the on the wrong side of forty, um, with two young kids and a wife and and so forth. You know, I, I'm more about retention and probably more, well, certainly I'm more conservative than I was back then. So I think an important thing. You know, as you said off on the beginning of a journey, and you're not always going to be able to answer this thing, this question, but an important question is, what is the ultimate objective? So if it is about just about buying a few investment properties as a sideline or as an income stream, and maybe you're doing other things, then that's fine. But no, but know that, you know, don't get yourself to a stage where actually it's too much. And then you have to, you're forced into a decision where you have to decide, okay, how do I handle all of this? And it can all become a bit too much. So I think, you know, decide what your objective is at the outset. Um, and then if your objective is, you know, to, to, to build a, a, a bigger business, then spend some time learning about what, what, what that's like and, 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 and understanding, you know, if we were to raise money uh, or if we were to, to, to build it to a certain level, you know, do I have the skill set for that? Is that, is that something I want to do? Do I believe I can? Um, and if not, then who do I need to help get me there? Um, and I think that's, um, I think that's a key one. That's a key thing because uh, you don't necessarily need, and also uh, a, a great, a great uh, takeaway is um, timing is, is really important in business. So when you decide maybe to seek, you know, is your goal, my goal was always to establish the business and then bring on, bring on um, funders and then, and then try and scale it. Um, but on a personal level, I was, I was, um, I was never going to be able to own the business the whole way through that journey, because in order to bring on funding, funders are going to want to own the business. Um, so you have to be willing to let go of the company if, that, if that's, if that's what you're going to do. And I think the, the, uh, the approach to to so 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 then it's about okay so if it is about building a business and it's not about just in building a, a portfolio of investment properties if you want to build a business then you got to then it's about okay what what is what 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 determines value in an operating company what it's not just necessarily the bottom line it, it is also you know um is there a technical solution many 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 companies are loss making and they're worth they're very valuable we know that i mean you know uber um and, and many um you know, Alibaba, ma- many major um, companies that won't even come to me right now, but Facebook didn't make money for years. WhatsApp is still not making money. So I think there's, there's, there's lots of examples where, you know, if you are looking to, to set up a business and sell it, and that is your investment, then you may not need to make profit in the first five years. But if that is the goal, you need, you need, you need to have a funder who understands that. Because um, if your goal is to build that thing that's valuable, you need to understand what determines value and when do you get to a certain point how you can sell it and, and that's that's where um understanding what private equity is and how to value a business in, in in terms of private equity um will help you determine what strategy you take if on the other hand you just want to build a business that maybe it's a property business with a lettings arm and you, you, you have some income coming in through that you may never be able to sell that business so that needs to be profitable in the first year or two usually um so i hope that makes sense because those two journeys are very different um, yeah, and if you um, what you're trying to achieve yes and it's not just about the am i trying to achieve x number of properties or x number of businesses it's what for you know if if your passion is to be an entrepreneur and build businesses and that's going to bring you joy and purpose in life great but actually uh 
you know if your if your outcome or your what you're looking to achieve is to you know relax, retire on the beach with some martinis then you don't necessarily need to go down building a, a huge business uh, maybe it's about building a portfolio instead and having that recurring income absolutely i think many entrepreneurs don't actually know what drives them a lot of the time yeah um, or maybe they i think a lot of them they just lose focus they they kind of get into the flow into you know they've left the day job and they're in full time and then suddenly five years and they're still there um and it's okay why are they is, is you know it's great cause sometimes you just fall in love with the journey as well and that's fine yeah but like you say it, it could be I guess it can be an addiction as well the next property the next property yes it can be and it's it, it can be a tough journey because um you can find yourself in a situation where you perhaps didn't intend to be and then you feel like you, then then you can sometimes lose control um you know and, and um I think it's it, particularly in property because property is the most illiquid asset out there. It, it is a bit of a, a an anchor or a, a ball and chain, shall we say, and and it it can, it, it can hold you down. It's not like you can just set up a business and then go. Actually, I don't like this anymore, and, and you, know, you have all this obligation, and and you can't walk away from it as easily in property. So before you start, you know, acquiring deals, you need to be need to be clear on what you're trying to achieve, um, and be selective. And I think. Bigger is not necessarily better. Uh, quality is better than quantity, for sure. And 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 uh, maybe I could have slowed down a little bit. I was in a definitely in a hurry in the in the early years and made some mistakes. And I think um, you know maybe I could have avoided some of those mistakes. Uh, I, I guess um, you know I set up an agency business, which um, which uh, was just right after the company called Sell Simple, which was um, uh, it was a um, one of the leading uh, prop tech companies and we uh, established it with a partner at the time and that was after a pretty big financial win and we sunk in many 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 dollars into it and you know despite having a steady flow of of, of leads from our partner company uh, at the time mpt we couldn't get it to we, we couldn't get it to work right. um and so you got to be very careful. Um, you got to be very careful with every each and every decision. But you know the reality is entrepreneurs are going to make mistakes. Um, yeah, you, you're going to take risks. Hindsight so, <laughs> You know, and and those risks shape shape who you become. So um, yeah, I don't know. I guess I need to think about that one a little bit more to decide whether or not to decide what what changes I would have made. No, it's interesting, and and just hearing you talk about the um, you know letting go of the business as well and being prepared for that. I guess, you know, when you've invested so much time, energy, money, resources into something and it is your baby, it almost becomes your identity of who you are. Yes. Then it's, yeah. okay, then you need to extract yourself from the business in order to to, to move on to the next level. So it's a really, really interesting um, journey that you've obviously had there. And uh, I think um, it's a bit mind-boggling, this other world. <laughs> it's not one that I'm uh, familiar with, but... Uh, it doesn't sound like it's for the faint-hearted either. <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah, indeed, indeed. I think I'm very, I'm very lucky to have, um, you know, partners who are very experienced and capable in in, in these other areas. Um, and yeah, I always enjoyed learning new things. Uh, I guess, um, yeah, it's um, it's it's really down to the individual, and and, and I suppose what 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 the objective is but it, it, it's a very personal journey an entrepreneur's very personal journey and often entrepreneurs have you know personal experiences in their early life um that influence them and they don't really understand them until they probably get to you know my age now so looking back you connect the dots in in, in hindsight a lot of the time um but i you know i do think there is a lot to be said for 
for backing yourself and believing in yourself. You know, I know it's the, the cheesy approach, but I, I really believe in it. And a lot of it was a lot of that, the, those kind of softer skills and those attitudes I took from my time as a swimmer. I swam and I was a national swimmer for many years when I was in Ireland. And I think that was a lot of those skills were, 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 were vital to getting to getting through the tough times because there will be tough times and there will be challenges. And sometimes they just, you know, you can get one challenge after another, after another, after another, to the point where it's, it's um, y- you wonder why you're in it. And then all of a sudden you break through. Um, and I think it's, um, it's uh, just, you know, hang in there and, and, and believe in yourself. And quite often you will find a way through. Right. Well, that seems like a good place to wrap up. So thank you very much for sharing your journey with us and um, and taking the time out today to with us and, and, uh, and sharing your story. So it's been thank great. Thank you, Michelle. My pleasure. Thank you very much for the opportunity. Great. Well, we look forward to uh, seeing you in the next year's awards, maybe. Yeah, sounds good. <laughs> sounds good. <laughs> Take care. I'll talk to you soon. Talk to you soon. Thank you. Yeah, bye. For anyone who is not yet a subscriber of the magazine, please click the link in the show notes for your free first copy. See you next time, guys. Bye.